0: Hot Square Media of Southeast Wyoming Podcast. Good morning, good morning. Nick the Motor Guy back here on Car What Well, kind of back here because I'm actually going uh, to take a bit of a break. I'm either sunning myself or out on a motorcycle or with a car or, you know, just taking a break from Car Gap as much as I love it. I'm going to be doing some interviews today. There will be no calls in, but hopefully you enjoy hearing a few voices you may never have heard before, or maybe some voices that you've heard before with new stories. Anyway, here we go. AM650, KJB, Nick the Motor Guy, back here on Cargab, and this time I have a character for you. And When I say a character, I mean somebody who is larger than life. Not that old, but with lots and lots of history within Cheyenne with his family. We're going to chat a little bit about that. We're going to chat a little bit about some music. And if you know, when I talk about music, I probably have a bass player on the show. And if it's not PJ, it's got to be this guy. And this guy is Jeremy Royer. Hey, Jeremy, how's it going?
1: Hey, Nick, I'm doing well
0: about yourself. I'm good. I appreciate you coming on, and uh, we're going to chat a little bit about your history, because just three, four weeks ago, we were trying to get some promotion going for the good old Diamond Horseshoe, that great cafe over on uh, South Greeley Highway, and we started to expand a little bit on your childhood, um, which was quite a long time ago. I mean, not... (laughs) I mean, it's not like talking to Max and saying prehistoric times, but it was a while ago.
1: Well, you know, um, Max has fond memories of the French Revolution, and uh, and we think that those are great.
0: Well, of course he has fond memories. He probably has fond memories of 1066. (laughs) And as I've pointed out to him, how sad do you have to be as a nation when you are celebrating your last true military victory a thousand years ago? Well, um... Anyway, we, yeah, we 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 we're we are not here to beat up Max or any other Frenchman who happens to be <laughs> foolishly listening. Now,
1: we, does does everybody understand what's going on? That this is
0: recorded. Um, yes, they do. I actually uh, I actually expanded on that. I have a little intro where it says, "Don't call in because the people who are talking are just going to be hanging with me."
1: So this is a this is a different deal because I'm I'm at home. I'm in my my atmosphere here i'm in my dark basement
0: excellent with, and with I've, my
1: favorite refreshment
0: even better and uh, um, so you
1: pretty guitars
0: and, and you've uh, even got your own green room i, I it's blue oh it's blue whatever <laughs> <laughs> but yeah something like that yeah so, uh, so we are relaxing we don't have zoom going so if you are sitting around in your underwear i i don't want to know just leave it alone jeremy I got leave that. it. Leave it just alone. For
1: you, I want. I want to say. Oh, okay. Just for
0: you. I. I just and everything. The excellence, I think. <laughs> <laughs> as i said to jeremy before we came on with this um i have no idea where this is going and i apologize to folks right up front the good news is it's not live so if it's really terrible matt our fabulous engineer who's gonna actually listen to all this stuff could go nope i'm done with this (laughs) so this may never see the light of day this may be one of those cuts
1: the, you, you know what? In in the music business, there's a lot of those cuts.
0: There are a lot of those cuts. But in the AM radio business, as long as we stay on the good side of the FCC, I think we're going to be just fine.
1: I, I have memorized George Carlin's list of words we're not allowed to
0: say. On yes, the- and so don't go there. Yeah, Stop good. it. We got it. All right. So history lesson. History Who lesson. was your grandpa? My grandfather was
1: Marv Royer. Um, so he opened Mars Mobile Home Supply in Cheyenne.
0: What uh, year was that?
1: I, 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 that would have been 59-ish, I think, 58, 59, somewhere in that neighborhood. He um, was from Littleton, Illinois, which is the little town on, in, in Illinois that you almost can't find on a map. <laughs> um, and uh, sometime in the 40s, they moved to loveland colorado um because my great-grandfather had come down with some disease that was related to the humidity okay uh, and so he needed a drier climate and uh colorado it was so they moved to colorado and uh from there my grandpa met my grandmother and they got married he went to korea and after korea he was um uh, a traveling salesman for a bit um and he sold mobile home and rv parts um uh, out of the trunk of a car basically and he had this big sales area that went all the way up into montana and so they always gave him big sedans and he drove around and, and uh did that and at some point in time in the late 1950s they decided that they could do this better on their own and uh he opened that shop there, and he was the first mobile home dealer in Cheyenne. Wow. Uh, some others came later. Uh, then they were delivering mobile homes on the back of a pickup truck. <laughs> uh, so they were really just a little aluminum house trailers. Yeah. And um, he stayed in the, in the mobile home service business. Uh, he quit dealing sometime I don't remember. Some other fellows opened up. I think Bob Kidd opened a mobile home dealer up, and um, a handful of different guys came in and opened dealerships. And um, Grandpa just wasn't really a sales-driven guy. I mean, he's not—he's not one of those make-the-hard-sale kind of guys. Right. And uh, so he quit doing that and just kept doing service work. And so I kind of grew up um, there. When I was born, we lived in. Um, Modular home behind the shop on South Greeley Highway, and uh, I just hung around the shop. And I knew, you know, my earliest memories were crawling around the old trucks and things like that. Grandpa always had old cars and trucks and farm equipment out back, and
0: uh, and his favorite tractor, right?
1: Several tractors. (laughs) So he was a he was a tractor collector. He. had oliver's and john deere's and nine in fords and eight in fords and and that's that's really when i was real small uh, that was my playground was climbing around in old dusty trucks <laughs> and i'd come in uh covered in rust and grease from my head to my toes and,
0: perfect yeah that's awesome and of course uh, lunch was occasionally had at a certain place in town usually aboard a tractor right
1: Well, and so this was after I had come back. We moved to California uh, in 87. Okay. Somewhere in that neighborhood. And after I came back, my grandmother had passed away, and my parents had divorced. And I came back when I was about 15 years old and lived with Grandpa. And uh, that was, yeah, that was absolutely the thing. Uh, In summer times, too, when we'd come home to visit in summer times, uh, Grandpa had uh, restored a Fordson Major diesel tractor mm-hmm. english ford diesel
0: yeah absolutely
1: and uh he would fire it up and we'd jump on the fenders and ride down south clear highway to the diamond horseshoe and and have uh, lunch breakfast dinner <laughs> <Sometimes
0: all three>. <laughs> <laughs> now at that point you would have driven past a few other places that would have the a&w would still in business at that point Uh, Let's see. By the
1: time I got back, I think Beef and Bird was gone, but uh, it was there when I was a young guy, so that was our spot. Uh, Grandpa would have coffee, and I'd get a root beer, and uh, we'd we'd go down to the Beef and Bird there, is what it was called. The Beef
0: and Bird. And, of course, right just up the road from you was the hatched egg.
1: Right, which had also pretty well closed down by the 90s.
0: Yeah, but I, I know it was closed down by the time I got here in '92 because there used to be all these cool cars parked across the front windows. So I remember going over there and staring in the windows and thinking it must have been such a cool business when '85 was the main road. And um, that history being lost is so sad. Yeah.
1: Well, and, and just, you know, being able to basically open our windows in the summertime and and hear what was going on at the Country Motor Speedway on a Saturday night.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, of but course, that continues. It is the one of the oldest short tracks uh, still operating in the country. Yeah. Um, it is. Uh, it's, uh, and I'm hoping at some point that we may have somebody from there on the show as well. Oh, well, that would be excellent. So we'll do That'd a little a bit of promotion problem. for them.
1: And I think that they're going to be able to kick back in and have a good season this year is so what uh, we're
0: all hoping. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping and with the, I think with the success of things like Cruise Nights uh, there's a lot of younger folk 2030s who are starting to find the delight of uh, the cars and the motorcycles and maybe we're having a renaissance here, I don't know, but it does feel a little bit different to the way I felt about it just two years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it seems I I may have been the last generation that was really raised around, uh, you know, the old big cars and big blocks and and a lot of those kind of things. Um, Grandpa, dad, my uncles, everybody always had, you know, these great collections of cars. Um, And
0: more for practical use, you know, grandpa wasn't really a hot rodder.
1: Uh, but he always had a big sedan for grandma to drive. and, and um,
0: <laughs> Sedan or a wagon?
1: Usually sedans, uh-huh. by my time. Uh, I don't know if they had any wagons back when my father was small. They may have, um, but uh, by my time it was uh, Cadillacs and, and Lincolns and things like that that were all from the 70s. And,
0: that's yeah that's pretty cool memories those were great cars well jeremy we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back we'll talk a little bit more about your history and your family's history and it's a big part of uh cheyenne i mean the mobile home service i remember clearly when i came to town so we're going to chat about that more when we get back here am 650 kgab And we're back. Nick the Motor Guy with Jeremy Roy here on CarGab on AM650, KGAB. We've been chatting a little bit about Marv's Mobile Home Service, which was a a, a big part of uh, business here right in Cheyenne for many, many years. Started, you said, the 50s, right? Yeah, uh,
1: in in late 50s. Um, and I just don't remember exactly what year. Uh, but it was, they had bought a house and basically built the shop on the front of the house.
0: I remember that. I remember going in there because when I came down, Brooks, in my first place, was a mobile home um, in the blighted trailer area uh, right behind the Diamond Horseshoe. That's where Brooke and I started out. Right. And I think we paid five grand for it um, and we borrowed all of that money right downstairs here in the American National Bank building. Um, and I didn't know anything about mobile homes, and I sure as heck didn't know anything about uh, when they went wrong. So I had to learn. And I remember going in to Marv's and talking, I'm assuming, to your granddad, an older gentleman who was always mega helpful when I went in.
1: Yeah, (laughs) What what year was this that you
0: had... Mid-90s, early to mid-90s. Mid-90s.
1: So that would have been right about the time that they were transitioning out. They were retiring. And uh, my uncle, Gene, took over the shop. So Gene and Jan ran the shop up until... Uh, They retired here just a few years ago.
0: Yeah, this would have been right around 93, 94.
1: Right. Yeah, so that would have been... Well, no. Let's see. You would have probably seen Grandpa. Uh, Grandma died in 93. So you would have probably seen Grandpa.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I say it was. It was definitely an elderly gentleman who was down there, and I say he was. If I remember, he was slightly hard of hearing, and my accent was a lot stronger than it is today. And it was always quite an adventure.
1: Yeah. No, he was. He didn't hear well. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were finally able to get him in hearing aids when he was, 80 oh, eighty-seven or eighty-eight. Well and and he really didn't
0: ever like them. <laughs> uh, I, and I know a lot of people like that. My father is at the top of that list. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, but have you noticed, with people who are hard of hearing, particularly if they're related to you, particularly if they are like, well, particularly if they're your father, I found, that they don't hear well until you're muttering something under your breath, and then their <laughs> hearing suddenly becomes magically restored. That might be probably
1: something to that especially depending on what it is uh
0: yeah so of course you know you being the perfect child that you were never got caught like that
1: (laughs) you know it's it's one of those strange situations that my you know family was good and my grandfather was definitely good and uh and i just wasn't (laughs) so Know where that came from exactly
0: yes yes i only had
1: a flair for the darker side
0: of yes i i think i was along those lines my 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 sister was was, was the good kid and i was well uh, yeah i wasn't but we had fun right uh
1: i had a blast um my brother and i got into a debate about who was the good kid one time prodded along by a distant relative of ours and uh Well, either way, I probably shouldn't say on radio what my response was, but... No, don't. I think we... I think we resolved that it's a tie.
0: Okay, excellent. (laughs) Well well left alone there, Jeremy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course, and you found music, and uh, that, that will always change one's perception of things.
1: It does. And, of course, that was my father's fault,
0: too. That was your father's fault as well? So, my father uh, with music, it's funny, music and automotive, motorcycles, etc., do tend to just really go together. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you now, with music for my father, it was a fairly steady diet of uh, Wagner and classical music, which I, I I still absolutely love. Although I can't quite recite the uh, entire Wagner Ring Cycle like I was able to at the age of eight.
1: Well, you know, you're, you're allowed to forget it
0: you think I'm sure he's listening and I'm sure he's shaking his head with disgust right now (laughs) and that means next time he's over we will be listening to him which will be just fine yeah (laughs) I'll I'll even come
1: I'll, I'll sit in with you you'll
0: sit in with me on that excellent excellent so We'll uh, change it up a little bit because this is going to be heard over the uh, next few weeks as I take breaks, and of course we're we're sta- we're sitting here uh, March twenty fourth. Things are opening up. Live music is uh, starting to happen. Uh, just last week, uh, there was some some great stuff going on, and you are going to be uh, playing some gigs as some of your friends, correct?
1: We are. Um yeah, so we're Mr. Bird and the Perfect. <clears throat> excuse me. Well, I apparently have a dog barking here. <laughs> we're Mr. Bird and the Perfect Strangers, of course, and so we'll be booking some stuff this summer. It uh, looks like most most things are going to get back going. We're we're really hopeful uh, that the Midtown kicks off soon. Alce has been doing a great job. Yep, and they've been booking pretty steady. Uh, the Terry Bison Ranch has been doing really well. Um, and has been
0: booking real steady stuff. Yeah, they have, and uh, Friday nights on the plaza, looks like that's gonna be full speed ahead, so that's great news.
1: Yes, and depending on when this airs, I may or may not have an announcement about that, but I think it's still a secret.
0: All right, well, we can uh, hold on for that, and I know that uh, on the live weekends, I will be dragging you on when you're not on the road delivering gasoline. Absolutely, that'd be great. Or should I say passing gas? passing gas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I, I, the Lincoln is reopening. Um, looks like they're starting to get some steady shows, so that's pretty exciting and a great venue with a lot of people really haven't been able to enjoy yet, so... Right. I, they, they are still very, very restricted in capacity, it looks like, but hopefully yeah. that will start to change.
1: Uh, you know, the sooner the better. It looks like there's um, some new advisories, uh, according to the New York Times. Anyway, they're saying that three feet is is more appropriate than six, and I I expect uh, by summertime we'll have that down to. Zero
0: feet, which is probably where it belongs to start. Yeah, from. well, and it's certainly, uh, as a, that, but as they quite all see, the the vaccine and whatever starts to starts to change things. Uh, I'm just relieved to see things open. I'm relieved to see people hopefully starting to find their lives again, and certainly a big part of that for a lot of people is going to be live music being back.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's good. I saw a, um, I saw a meme on. Facebook or something the other day that, that said uh, the real healing will start when live music starts again. I, I think there's something
0: to that. Oh, I I couldn't agree more. And it's going to be such a relief uh, for the musicians who enjoy playing, but even more so for the musicians who have to play. Because without their the venues for them to go and show their craft off, often, they, they, they don't have a living.
1: They... That's true, and uh obviously, I mean, like we discussed, I have a day job and and keep all those regular type things, but um it's it's significant how much of a part of of my income this this was um, yep, so so to be able to play to be able to go out and work and and I would expect a lot of the musicians around town really haven't put the pen to paper and really thought about how much they're losing just on what's their kind of side hustle
0: well that and also and also just in skill level when you're not able to play yes you can still practice yes but there's nothing like actually performing to develop who you are as a performer
1: and i'll find a a bad habit for me is, is that i tend to operate a little bit better if i feel like i'm under some pressure like i gotta get this down for something yep and so it's hard to um it's hard to really keep motivated and and get things going right
0: yeah when you don't know when the the next time you're actually going to be under the pressure to make it happen properly right i understand totally Well, Jeremy, we are going to uh, take another break here and then we will come back. And in the future, what I hope to do with the show, and we chatted a little bit about this, but I'd like to announce to folks. uh, Jeremy, uh, we're going to try and get some musicians on in the future, do a few more of these. And uh, just expand the local music scene as part of Car Gap because, well, quite honestly, I just want to do it and it's fun.
1: I think I've got a great list of people that have have you
0: talked to. That's great. Well, we'll be doing that in the future, but for today, we'll leave it in there, and thanks for your time. I really appreciate it, Jeremy. You bet. Take care. Nick the Motor Guy, back here on AM650, KGAB with Cargab, with Tim Jouanidis, and we're chatting about cars cigars and guitars and it is the 2021 event uh, we now have the Facebook page up and running and if you weren't able to make it to the event in the la- the last year um, you can go back and see what happened because thanks to Debbie Martinez who took some really magnificent pictures during the event uh, you can see what we are doing and it and see what we're planning for 2021 and if you would although we don't have the website up yet, that should be up and running here within the next three to four weeks and I will let you know on the show when that's going but for now if you do want to get a jump on how to get your car registered you can send us a message on Facebook look up uh, cars, cars, cigars and guitars on Facebook and you can message and that will come to either myself or Nick Morris and we'll get right back with you Um, if you'd like to help or volunteer at the event please feel free to do that as well, we could always use more volunteers, right, Tim?
2: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Yep. And, and we got uh, uh, almost to the point. We will be announcing the charities, I would think, in the next month.
2: Correct. Um, yeah, we got it. I think we got narrow it narrowed down. And last year we had three charities, and this year we're anticipating a huge increase. So we're gonna. We're going to stick our neck out a little bit, but we're going to have a minimum of five charities this year that we're going to be contributing to.
0: Yep, and uh, we're, we're going to hit those goals and those charities. I mean, every charity nonprofit in the whole country really took it hard. I mean, it's tough on everybody, um, yep. and uh, being able to go out, enjoy one's fellow uh, human being. In a field with automotive <laughs> excellence and raise oh, yeah. a lot and raise a lot of money. I mean, what what a better way to spend a beautiful right. September evening?
2: Yeah, and you know the date uh, this year is September eleventh, twenty one, which is the anniversary of nine one one. Yep, and uh, we're going to, of course, be honoring some of our local first responders. Yep, amongst others, uh, and we're not going to we're going to make sure that uh, we do
0: so. We're going to got some nice events planned for that as well. Indeed. And uh, don't forget about the motorcycle raffle. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, uh, Shy Motorsports will again be donating a motorcycle. Um, we are still in the decision-making uh, piece, but I have spoken to Mike Roach, who is uh, CEO of Royal Enfield North America. He thinks it's a great idea, is very supportive of it, and we will have a new royal fuel motorcycle which we will have announced as to exactly what it is here within the next probably two months get the tickets made up and you will have a chance to buy those tickets well before the event we're going to make sure those are available through the website we're going to make sure those are available all around town here in cheyenne and for 25 dollars, you could be riding a brand new royal fuel motorcycle
2: Boy, that's really exciting, Nick. Thanks again for your generous contribution for that. That's we sold a lot
0: of tickets, haven't we? we? how many tickets did we sell last year? Uh, about eleven thousand bucks worth of tickets last year.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing.
0: In about three and a half weeks.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we won't get into that, but I was—I uh, told Nick I because I, I thought he was dragging his feet on this thing. I didn't think we had enough time to sell by the time he. We get all the promotional material. I didn't think we had enough time to sell those tickets, but he proved me wrong. <laughs> we, sold. We, we sold almost all of them. And, and two-thirds of them were sold right... Well, half of them were sold at the event. Yeah. So half before the event. So thanks the, to our charities that helped out.
0: Absolutely. I was just about to say, the three charities, and of course, it's great when you involve charities. And you and I have, been, have done, done a lot of charity work, and we've worked with a lot of charities. And some charities really grab the... Um, the the ability with both hands to go yeah we're alongside we're going to do everything we can and all three of those guys last year busted their rear ends in every way they were fantastic that's right
2: let's talk about the registration and the ticket yeah tickets because i'm sure a lot of people out there want to know what it's going to cost to get in what they get and how they get how do they get their tickets
0: absolutely go
2: ahead well, first of all, we're not going to raise the prices this year. And a lot of people ask us, man, you guys could probably double what you're charging. But I said, no, no, we want to keep it affordable for everybody. And it doesn't matter what class they're in or what, you know, what income level they're at or where they're coming. Because some of these people are having to come in from out of town. And we are going to have an arrangement with a local. Uh, Little America has agreed to roll out a special room rate for us again this year. So for those that are, are going to trailer a car in or drive in and want to spend the night or two, uh, they can get a special rate at Little America, which is really nice, and they got plenty of safe parking out there as well for their cars. But the tickets are still only going to be $100 a piece, and of course that $100 not only enters your car and yourself, but it entitles you to the, the tri-tip dinner and all the free drinks and, and uh, the uh, live uh, entertainment, plus the opportunity to look at all these hundreds of cars. So it's really really a good value. And then again, once again this year for only fifty dollars more you can uh you can purchase your second ticket for your your spouse or your significant other. Uh so I think that really makes it super affordable uh, for, for those that are bringing their cars, especially. And that 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 will, and they can register more than
0: one car, right, Nick? Yeah, yeah, I believe they can. I believe that happened a couple of times. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. So, so several people registered, you know, two or three cars, and uh, which is which is great. So, in any case, that's that's how it works. And we'll again, our once the website's up, they'll be able to do so, or if they want to. Uh, uh, contact you versus uh, Facebook or a text or whatever. That'd be great. But we'll we'll make the registration really easy this year. And for those that participated last year, we won't need a photo this year because we already got your photo of your car. So they uh, will we'll, we'll be able to skip that that step. Uh, but we're uh, it's again it's, we're really excited about being able, uh, be able to offer the uh, pr- the premiere classic car event in, in the front range and, and frankly we get, we're getting calls from all over the country people just can't believe that we, you know what what a great value this thing was and what a great yeah. response we got
0: well and and here in cheyenne the super where really I mean, and then yeah. they're excited to come, come to somewhere different. And of course, yeah. we're going to tie it into, uh, cruise nights as well. So the event, yeah. once it is ended, you can come down and cruise downtown, uh, with Cheyenne cruise nights, which yeah. typically saw. And Tim, you could brought the caddy and a couple of the other cars down on different nights. Yeah. And I mean, there yeah. were 500,000 classic cars down here yeah. uh, in the evenings. Yeah.
2: So people could really do both. I mean, they can come to our our event starts like around four o'clock in the afternoon, and and, uh, they can leave there. What what we think? What do we say? Around seven or eight? Seven thirty or eight? Yeah, yeah. Go down to cruise night and and make a day of it.
0: Absolutely.
2: Something else I forgot to mention that's really important is we're going to continue, even though we're anticipating the COVID's going to be way behind us. We're still going to provide a very safe environment for for all to enjoy.
0: Absolutely, and we we got some of our. yeah, and on our facilities side, we've got some great military and ex-military folks who really helped us get that organised. Did a fantastic job. I don't. Yes. There was at no point did I feel that we were anything but spot on with uh, the cleanliness and everything else, okay. and the yeah. um, it just worked perfectly. And again, thanks to those guys, oh, Uh yeah. who, Jim and Ty and all their folks who just did us proud. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And you know, that uh, I think as we've talked, that something that comes out of everything. And, and even with the COVID behind us, I think there's, a lot of these practices aren't going to end. Exactly. You know, I think the sanitization, sanitization of the tables and the chairs and the and the eating areas and the, all the different stuff, the touch barriers and having hand lotions around and those that want to wear a mask can certainly wear a mask. And, yep. I mean, it, that's, it, you know, the, some of that, all that stuff is really good stuff. So it's, uh, I think we're... I'm really glad. Actually, it was it was a blessing that we were able to we were able to do this last year, even in, in midst of all that. So in the that midst to make of sure all that. we were doing it right.
0: Yeah. Well, Tim, thank you for your time today. We of course great. we're going to have you back on many times before we get to September, but great. we want to get people excited about it early on because it's going to be a great event again.
2: Cars, cigars, and guitars under the stars.
0: Thanks, Tim. Thank you, Tim, journalist. We will uh, speak next. soon. Bye bye. We'll talk soon. Bye now.
3: It took me a long time to be able to say Chandler has cancer because that is such a scary word. St. Jude takes care of absolutely everything and knowing that we don't have to pay for all of the medical expenses, that's huge.
4: St. Jude allowed me to focus on being a mom to Bryce and sometimes I'm just in awe of the impact St. Jude has not only on this community but the world.
3: St. Jude is uniquely positioned to advance the cures of pediatric cancer, I think, better than any other institution in the world. The contributions make a big difference.
1: Donors are important to us because you get the feeling that you have a team behind you. We have the resources and we have the focus. And so if St. Jude doesn't do it,
5: who will? St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures. Saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Adopt US Kids presents multiple choice parenting. You've accidentally cut your daughter's bangs unevenly. Do you A line things up a centimeter from her hairline?
3: Man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh man! No, 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 no. Sweatbands are so hot right now. Everyone's wearing them. Like that basketball player and that other basketball player.
5: B. Get spiritual.
3: Mom, where did all the mirrors go? A reflection could never capture our true selves. Huh? Beauty is within? Um.
4: C. Look on the bright side
3: Less time blow-drying, more time texting
4: Or D. Show empathy
3: Mom,
0: you really don't have to Ta-da! Twinsies! (laughs) I kind of love it. (laughs) As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a
5: perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same.
4: For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council.
0: Nick LaModa Guy back here on AM650. KGAB with Carl with Tim Juwanidis. And we're chatting about cars cigars and guitars and it is the 2021 event uh, we now have the Facebook page up and running and if you weren't able to make it to the event in the la- the last year um, you can go back and see what happened because thanks to Debbie Martinez who took some really magnificent pictures during the event uh, you can see what we are doing and it- and see what we're planning for 2021 and if you would although we don't have the website up yet, That should be up and running here within the next three to four weeks and I will let you know on the show when that's going. But for now, if you do want to get a jump on how to get your car registered, you can send us a message on Facebook. Look up uh, Cars, Cigars cigars, and Guitars on Facebook and you can message and that will come to either myself or Nick Morris and we'll get right back with you. Um, If you'd like to help or volunteer at the event, please feel free to do that as well, we could always use more volunteers, right, Tim?
2: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and, and we got uh, uh, almost to the point. We will be announcing the charities, I would think, in the next month.
2: Correct. Um, yeah, we got. I think we got to narrow it down. And last year we had three charities, and this year we're anticipating a huge increase. So we're gonna. We're going to stick our neck out a little bit, but we're going to have a minimum of five charities this year that we're going to be contributing to.
0: Yep, and uh, we're, we're going to hit those goals and those charities. I mean, every charity, nonprofit in the whole country really took it hard. I mean, it's tough on everybody. Um, yep. And uh, being able to go out, enjoy one's fellow uh, human being, in a field with automotive <laughs> excellence and raise oh, yeah. a lot of, and raise a lot of money. I mean, what, what a better way to spend a beautiful right. September evening?
2: Yeah, and you know the date uh, this year is September eleventh, twenty one, which is the anniversary of nine one one. Yep, and uh, we're going to, of course, be honoring some of our local first responders. Yep, amongst others, uh, and we're not going to we're going to make sure that uh, we do so.
0: We're going to got some nice events planned for that as well. Indeed. And uh, don't forget about the motorcycle raffle. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, uh, Shire Motorsports will again be donating a motorcycle. Um, we are still in the decision-making uh, piece, but I have spoken to Mike Roach, who is uh, CEO of Royal Enfield North America. He thinks it's a great idea, is very supportive of it, and we will have a new Roll royal fuel motorcycle which we will have announced as to exactly what it is here within the next probably two months get the tickets made up and you will have a chance to buy those tickets well before the event we're going to make sure those are available through the website we're going to make sure those are available all around town here in cheyenne and for 25 dollars, you could be riding a brand new royal fuel motorcycle
2: Boy, that's really exciting, Nick. Thanks again for your generous contribution for that. That's we sold a lot of
0: tickets, haven't we? we How many tickets did we sell last year? Uh, about eleven thousand bucks worth of tickets last yeah, year.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing.
0: In about three and a half weeks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we won't get into that. But I was, uh, I told
2: Nick I did because I thought he was dragging his feet on this thing. I didn't think we had enough time to sell by the time he. We get all the promotional material. I didn't think we had enough time to sell those tickets, but he proved me wrong. (laughs) We sold almost all of them, and two-thirds of them were sold right... Well, half of them were sold at the event. Yeah. Half before the event. So thanks to our charities that helped
0: out. Absolutely. I was just about to say, the three charities, and of course, it's great when you involve charities, and you and I have have done done a lot of charity work, and we've worked with a lot of charities, and some charities really grab the... um, the the ability with both hands to go yeah we're alongside we're going to do everything we can and all three of those guys last year busted their rear ends in every way they were fantastic that's right
2: let's talk about the registration and the ticket yeah tickets and i'm sure a lot of people out there want to know what it's going to cost to get in what they get and how they get how do they get their tickets
0: absolutely go ahead
2: well, first of all, we're not going to raise the prices this year, and a lot of people asked us, "Man, you guys could probably double what you're charging." But I said, "No, no, we want to keep it affordable for everybody. And it doesn't matter what class they're in or what you know, what income level they're at or where they're because some of these people are having to come in from out of town. And we are going to have an arrangement with a local. Uh, Little America has agreed to roll out a special room rate for us again this year. So for those that are are going to trailer a car in or drive in and want to spend the night or two. Uh, they can get a special rate at Little America, which is really nice. And they got plenty of safe parking out there as well for their cars. But the tickets are still only going to be $100 apiece. And, of course, that $100 not only enters your car and yourself, but it entitles you to the, the tri-tip dinner and all the free drinks and, and uh, the uh, live uh, entertainment, plus the opportunity to look at all these hundreds of cars. So it's really, really a good value. And then again, once again, this year for only $50 more, you can, uh, you can purchase your second ticket for your, your spouse or your significant other. Uh, so I think that really makes it super affordable. Uh, for, for those that are bringing their cars, especially, and that 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 will, and they can register more than one
0: car, right, Nick? Yeah, yeah, I believe they can. I believe that happened a couple of times. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. So, so several people registered, you know, two or three cars, and uh, which is which is great. So in any case, that's that's how it works, and we'll again, our once the, the website's up, they'll be able to do so, or if they want to. Uh, uh, contact you versus uh, Facebook or a text or whatever. That'd be great. But we'll will make the registration really easy this year. And, and for those that participated last year, we won't need a photo this year because we already got your photo of your car. So they'll uh, we'll be able to skip that that step. Uh, but we're uh, it's again it's, we're really excited about being able to be able to offer the uh, the premiere classic car event in, in the front range and, and frankly we get, we're getting calls from all over the country people just can't believe that you know what what a great value this thing was and what a great yeah. response we got
0: well and and here in cheyenne the super where really I mean, and then yeah. they're excited to come, come to somewhere different. And of course, yeah. we're going to tie it into, uh, cruise nights as well. So the event, yeah. once it is ended, you can come down and cruise downtown, uh, with Cheyenne cruise nights, which yeah. typically saw. And Tim, you could brought the caddy and a couple of the other cars down on different nights. Yeah. And I mean, there yeah. were 500,000 classic cars down here yeah. uh, in the evenings. Yeah.
2: So people could really do both. I mean, they can come to our, our event starts like around four o'clock in the afternoon, and, and uh, they can leave there. What we think? What did we say around seven or 8? seven thirty or eight? Yeah, yeah. Go down to cruise night and, and make a day of it.
0: Absolutely.
2: Something well, else I forgot to mention that's really important is we're going to continue, even though we're anticipating the COVID's going to be way behind us. We're still going to provide a very safe environment for, for all to
0: enjoy. Absolutely, and we we got some fact, of our. So, yeah. and on our facilities side we've got some great military and ex-military folks who really helped us get that organized, did a fantastic job, I don't yes. there was at no point did I feel that we were anything but spot on with uh, the cleanliness and everything else yep. and the, yep. um, it just worked perfectly and again thanks to those guys oh, uh, yeah. who, Jim and Ty and all their folks who just did us proud yep.
2: Yeah, and you know that uh, I think as we've talked that something that comes out of everything, and, and even with the COVID behind us, I think a lot of these practices aren't going to end. Exactly. the sanitization, sanitization of the tables and the chairs and the, in the eating areas and the, all the different stuff, the touch areas, and having hand lotions around, and those that want to wear masks, certainly wear a mask. And, yep. I mean it, that's it, you know the, some of that's all that stuff is really good stuff. So it's uh, I think we're. I'm really glad. Actually, it was it was a blessing that we were able to we were able to do this last year, even in midst of all that. In the midst of sure we were doing it right.
0: Yeah. Well, Tim, thank you for your time today. We of course we're going to have you back on many times before we get to September, but great. we want to get people excited about it early on because it's going to be a great event again.
2: Cars, cigars, and guitars under the stars.
0: Thanks, Tim. Thank you, Tim, your We will uh, you speak next. soon. Bye bye. We'll talk soon. Bye and today with me i am proud as ever and all the way from great britain and of course many of you have heard my father hugh dodson with me over the years did our first car show ever before the show even had a name way back in uh, november of 2007 i'm proud to have my father back on today and we can uh, have some I don't know, some conversations. You may have heard these stories before, you may not have, but they're always fun, and one of the best parts is I get to record these, so that they're down for posterity. Anyway, good morning, my dear father. How are you?
4: I am very well, and very nice to hear you. I'm appalled to think how long the show has been going on. I very much remember, very happily, the first one we did, do you remember, we sat in the car driving down to the studio and said, what are we going to talk about? We really ought to do some planning. We <laughs> got any further with the planning,
0: did we? <laughs> no, we didn't, and we still haven't. And of course, we did spend many hours over the last three minutes working out what we were going to talk about today, and we realized that, well, we're just going to do the same thing and have some fun with us, and that's <laughs> what this is going to be about. So, you know... I want to go back. That first show, I wish it was recorded um, in some ways, although with my complete lack of ability in those days, not that it's improved greatly, um, probably a good thing it wasn't. But when what I am and what I have become in the car and motorcycle fanatic thing that is me, it, you do realize it's entirely your fault
4: oh well my back is broad fortunately I get blamed for everything
0: oh yes you poor thing I, I'm just sure I'm <laughs> sure my, my mother's in the background going yes oh you poor thing
4: you, did you hear it? I, I, <laughs>
0: I'm sure it was
4: <laughs> <laughs> no Nick honestly over, over the many years whether it was sitting around the dining room table or whether it was going for miles and miles in the car the one thing we never had a problem was is thinking about what we would talk about?
0: Well, as um, as Shrek says about a uh, donkey, it's not getting him to talk that's the problem.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Thinking of things to talk about on motorcycles and anything with engines and steam and railways and all the rest of it there's so much to talk about and it's all been such fun i've enjoyed every minute
0: of it yeah and of course where did your what was your first memory of something automotive and of course it's strange that i've ended up well not strange it's probably uh fate that i ended up doing what i've done but of course your father was in the automotive the trucking industry more but he was involved in the industry when he worked
4: Ah, uh, yeah um and it goes back even further um he had a, a very hard time when he came home from india in the 1930s um he He'd been with um two firms in in uh, india um having been in the first world war um and there were no jobs here so he like his brothers um took himself off to india and he worked for uh, an agricultural um, machinery company initially who also imported um, Model T Fords in KD form.
0: And KD form or CKD complete knockdown. so they basically they came a bit like a power sports unit today, they come in a crate and you bolt them together right? Absolutely
4: and I have got some pictures somewhere um, I think you may even have copies of them, of the Buffalo carts coming in with big boxes on the back, and about an hour later, there was a Model T Ford,
0: Yep,
4: and the original kit car.
0: Yeah, and of course, the Model T being the first production car on a production line, although by the time it came in CKD, it wasn't really a production line, it was probably more of a large shed.
4: The shed was unbelievable. It didn't even have a hard surface floor. It was dirt. Yeah. (laughs) It was absolutely wonderful. Anyway, the old boy, he did that first, and then he moved on and uh, became an agent for Dunlop. And uh, he came back to England in the mid-30s with a promise from Dunlop for an executive position, which they reneged on. Yep. So he was, was out of work and a very good friend of his, um, Dizzy Bisternal, who was the next royal engineer, um, a much-decorated royal engineer officer.
0: And one of the um, funniest people I've ever met. He was... Uh, and just for people, I, I met uh, w- uh, this family friend known as Dizzy. Um, and Dizzy was... Everything that an adult should be, but shouldn't be, um, to a seven-year-old child, he did all the misbehaving things which just delighted me as a kid, and I have great memories of him. <laughs>
4: so I, he was, a, he was another father to me. He taught me all terrible things, like sitting in the garden where they'd got a pond, and he'd get a bowl of cherries and we would sit on the bench and we had to spit the stones from the cherries into the pond <laughs> and we competed over this and here was a man who was older than my father actually behaving like an absolute lunatic.
0: well I always remember his dear wife Phyllis being absolutely horrified at the things he was teaching to my sister Izzy and myself all you heard was uh, Eric, stop it <laughs>
4: <laughs> they, they lived in uh, a a little town east of London called Loughton and I used to go there when my sister was being taken back to school, I would have a lovely day uh, with them and uh, as you went in the front door the staircase went up to the second floor and at the top Phyllis had a little table with an arrangement of um, flowers and grasses and sort of feathers and it was in a pot at the top and Dizzy used to think it was tremendous fun if I stayed at the bottom <laughs> and he would get the grasses and he would hurl them down the stairs with the intention of spearing me.
0: Yes. which of course was terribly, you know, um uh, responsible.
4: Well, <laughs> once it was done, of course, he ran out of out of
0: ammunition, spears. yes.
4: So, Phil dear Phyllis. She didn't understand the fact that if she then collected them and put them back in the pot with a, oh, Eric, as she always did, then he had more ammunition. And this would go on for, for hours. <laughs> Tremendous fun. Anyway, he, he gave my father a job um, in what was called magpie engineering. And then came the war, and magpie engineering was given a contract to um, maintain um, delivery trucks, uh, uh, distributing ammunition around uh, the London area. So they were, it was a reserved occupation, as they called it. So he didn't have to get back into the army, nor, nor did Dizzy. So
0: they well, of course, to, they, were, they were both pretty good age even then at, th- at that point.
3: Uh, yeah I, my father was
4: born in um, 1898 so he was uh, he was 40 40-ish when the war started yeah um, and Dizzy was probably 45 46 a little bit older um, and they ran this business with a man who became my godfather, Hugh Blundell Hawkes. Mm-hmm. And the three of them were ju- ju- juvenile delinquents. <laughs> they were I,
0: I wonder where we got it from.
4: Well, that was exactly what I was going to say, your listeners. <laughs> Why is it not a surprise that you and I are as we are? <laughs> uh, they used to have um, a fleet of Humber one-ton trucks. Um, for delivering all this stuff. And, of course, they, but because the, the services, particularly the Army and the back act batteries were in desperate need of ammunition constantly, the one-tanners were desperately overloaded. Yeah. Um, and they'd trundle off um, to the, the war sites with their loads um, and usually come back with either, uh, certainly broken springs and broken axles. So they were all pretty busy. Um, But the War Department wasn't satisfied that they were doing enough. So my father and Dizzy and and Hugh Bluntle Hawkes would be hauled off the the workshop floor um, in East London and would be taken off to do fire watching. And that was where you stood on the top of a high building um, and looking out for where the incendiary bombs were being dropped on London And if one of those actually ignited a fire, they had to phone and inform a central uh, authority who'd get the fire engines out there and the rescue people to try and help. Um, And he spent some pretty cold, miserable nights sitting up on what was then called the Board of Trade Building up by Charing Cross Station. Um, Hours and hours of staying there, phoning in saying a whole number of incendiaries just been dropped over... Or, ditch or whatever else and directing the fire engines to get to it
0: Yeah, incredibly important job
4: Well, it, it, yes it was I definitely never really regarded it as being anything other than um, well they're helping a bit well, that was no, that's, that's so funny. typical.
0: When you listen to history and you listen to folks, who, and of course, most people are now longer, no longer with us, um, but they just counted it as part of being, uh, you know, the st- the typical British stiff upper lip, almost.
4: Well, they just got on with it. Yeah, it was something that had to be done, um, and I, if this was going to help the war effort, well, they all rallied round. And I'd, um, after the Battle of Britain, 1941, um, we, we uh, my mother, my sister, and I had been shafted off to um, uh, west, uh, a west little town, the west of England. And quite honestly, we knew nothing about the war. Nothing ever happened over there. Yeah. So it was all a bit of a mystery when poor old father traipsed down there to see us the occasional weekend and spent virtually his entire time fast asleep he was absolutely knackered.
0: Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and of course, uh, also probably, but both mentally and physically.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Well, by, th- by 1943, there was some sort of thought, uh, completely wrong as it happened, that the war was coming to an end. Yeah and we were brought back to um, a village to the, the uh, on the east side of london which was could not have been a worse choice honestly we had the wonderful north Wheeled air defence uh, raf base just up the road from us where the spitfires and hurricanes were constantly fighting off uh, the germans coming in to bomb london yeah and we were there um, as the V1s, the doodlebugs and then the V2s arrived and uh, I suppose one has to look at this the fact it's really rather lucky that you're able to sit in America because if I had been killed by the V2 that landed just up the road from us no one would ever
0: have known no that. No one have... would be very sad. Well, well, it would certainly, yes, appalling. And uh, I, I want to go back to that story here in a minute. So we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with more stories here on AM 650 KGAB. And we're back on Carl Gab, Nick the motor guy with a recorded show, and very again very proud to have my father Hugh Dodson on. I, we were talking in the uh, break about uh, my grandfather and his uh, his history in the automotive industry, and then a little bit of World War Two, which unfortunately. Um, well, fortunately, unfortunately, but was a big part of many people's lives who grew grew up in Britain. Such as such as yourself, including a rather rather close escape from uh, one of the uh, V 2s Correct. Yep. Um, January nineteen um, forty five. Forty forty
4: five. Nineteen forty five. Yeah,
0: right it at the end.
4: Right at the, it was right at the end. Yeah. Um, but there were a lot of rockets coming out, sadly, um, from, um, mostly from Holland, and the one that, uh, nearly removed the family, um, was... was, was what, a, what a way of putting it! <laughs> well, a more elegant way of saying enough sound <this> it. <habit. laughs> anyway, it, it uh, landed up the road, uh, demolished a little church, um... Took our roof off, took all our windows out, and, uh, well, we survived it. It was just one of those things, but it was, my God, it was a hell of a bang when it went off.
0: I'm sure, I'm sure. That, that, that is a memory that never leaves. Uh, no,
4: you'll remember that one. The other thing I must remember, too, also, is the fact that we had a cat at the time, <laughs> and the overpressure um, of the uh, warhead going off blew out the, the windows and opened the back door. And the cat, who'd been asleep in the kitchen, (laughs) felt itself, obviously, quite assaulted by this door suddenly bursting open, rushed down the garden, and proceeded to have the most appalling fight with next door's cat. And all I can remember now is that huge explosion, and this
0: cat fired. (laughs) <laughs>
4: Ridiculous, the things you remember.
0: Obviously, uh, next door's cat was blamed for the German rockets.
4: The hell thing. Yeah. Yeah, why the
0: hell did you do that? <laughs> Ridiculous! Oh, gee, that's wonderful. So we we continue out of the war and into the late forties, and of course, you were at school, and my grandfather at that point went on to.
4: He went to work for, for Guy Trucks and became their export manager. And then he went from Guy to Atkinson.
0: Um, and these are names, a, these are nameplates that won't be familiar to many people here in the States, although they, one or other of them produced fire trucks at one stage, which may have come here. Is that right?
4: Uh, yes, indeed. Um, Atkinson um, had some pretty big. Um, uh, chassis um, and they went all over the world um, my father had a, a, a big contract in the war places, Ethiopia and those trucks are still in existence um, some went to South America, my mother's connections in Argentina made that possible
5: mm-hmm.
4: um, but those names have all gone now, we we don't have trucks called uh, Guy and Atkinson and Foden and all gone and dennis uh, right yeah dear old dennis in Guildford, who, <laughs> who made some of the finest fire engines and coaches you could wish to, to travel in
0: it's uh yeah i it was i really was the center of truck building i, I where uh, that didn't really happen so much in America a lot of the trucks all around the world came out of Britain and that was it was pro- i mean this really was the without being too rude but the last gasps of the British Empire
3: uh yes
4: well I think that's probably true uh, we we got ourselves I think as a nation into the the frame of mind that our empire would always buy whatever we produced and would pay for it and slowly but surely they realised that this may be a there's a better way of doing this to have industry um, in their own countries so British Ford went to, to India as I uh, referred to earlier and factories were opened all over the place and then suddenly we found hey we're, we're not getting any money we're not selling these things Yeah. and my father was an export manager um, was desperately looking for opportunities uh, he was going all over the world at that stage, wonderful DC-60s loved them. <laughs> <It was wonderful, laughs> there, but he absolutely loved being in a DC-6. <laughs> and he, he was flying to Canada, and um, he was up in Finland regularly, um, uh, all over the place, trying to flog, quite honestly, trucks and cars to some degree, um, designs which had long since failed. Yeah. And you, you know it as well as anyone, Nick, to what we did with the motorcycle industry. We just never developed.
0: Well, no, we, we uh, the British uh, industry was so poorly run at that point, we were relying on what were brilliant designs 30, 40, 50 years earlier, built on the same machinery from 30, 40, 50 years earlier. And yep. uh, tolerances which were measured in the thousands then, once the machinery had all worn down, were now measured... Not quite an inches, that might be a little excessive, but it wasn't far off.
4: It was what was carefully known as slop. <laughs>
0: it's a horrible name, that.
4: Bearings <laughs> were a bit sloppy. Yeah,
0: yeah. don't worry <laughs> about the knocks. Yeah, don't worry about the knocks. Put a thicker oil in.
4: Yeah, just put a little shim behind that bearing. It'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> it was it, terrible. It's terrible. I mean, the standard of some of that work that came out in the. This, um, uh, post war forty five early fifties I it was disgraceful.
0: yeah, it I really was.
4: the people would buy it because it was British.
0: Yes, well, they did. That was the bad part. Um, some pe- uh, people still believe they were getting um, great engineering. I, and it's amazing how lo- it shows the brilliance of the original design. If we were to look at probably the longest living, which tragically, tragically, maybe not tragically, has finally met its demise, but the Royal Enfield Classic 350 and Classic 500, which actually are going to be replaced in six days by a brand new Engine um, that is directly related to the bullet from Royal Enfield in 1938. So that engine yep. lasted 81
4: years. Uh, that's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it, it, look at the the um, the Mini, the proper Mini, not the BMW thing.
0: Yes, not our awful BMW thing. That
4: engine <laughs> came into being the year that I was born in 1937. Yep, And it was an 850 side valve, if I remember correctly. Or oh,
0: flathead for the American audience.
4: Yep, that's the well. one. And I, that was still in production, was,
0: what, 10 years ago? Uh, 2000-ish, I think, so 20 years ago now. Years. I think by through two, oh three I think it had pretty much disappeared. Although, who knows, there may be some country in Africa that's still bolting something together with an A-series.
4: Well, remember what the Hindustan
0: is. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a Hellman, isn't it? Or is it a Humber? Uh, it's, it's an Austin, I think. Oh, that's right. And they even made a version of it in um, Iran, which was based off the old Morris Oxford and Austin Cambridge, that's I remember.
4: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that um, equipment that built it, was precisely the
0: equipment that had been in the British uh, workshops. Yeah, because, uh, and <laughs> incredible, amazing. Well, we're going to take a it. we're going to take another break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to hear more from you, more stories, more. Just well, we're just going to chat audience. about the automotive industry in and how it's an developed and or not developed over the years. Five. But we'll be right back. AM six fifty KGAB KGA. the US Open twice,
4: one in one point two billion. The odds of him having a child diagnosed with autism? One in 110. Ernie Els encourages you to learn the signs of autism at AutismSpeaks.org. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council.
5: NASCAR champion Bobby Lavani here with my brother Terry and my nephew Justin. You know, every sport has its essential safety gear. For racing, we wear helmets, fire retardant suits, and Nomex gloves. For fishing, waterfowl hunting, and boating, we wear life jackets. After an intense race, there's nothing more relaxing than bass fishing. Or a little duck hunting on the lake. But we're the first ones to tell you, on the track or on the water, accidents happen fast. Pain or no pain, your wisdom teeth should be checked every year. If wisdom teeth come in properly and meet the right conditions, they are generally safe to keep. But left unchecked, they can put you at risk for gum disease, tooth decay, and damage to adjacent teeth. Some wisdom teeth grow in at such an angle that they never break through the gum, which can lead to tooth decay, gum disease, cysts, and tumors. These impacted teeth can only be seen on x-rays so the damage they may cause can go undetected if they are not checked by a dental professional. Some people just don't have enough room for another tooth in their mouth, so their wisdom teeth can affect adjacent teeth when they come in. This can make it difficult to chew, difficult to keep them all clean and misalign your teeth. Not all wisdom teeth need to be removed, but they all do need to be monitored by an oral and maxillofacial surgeon. Find a surgeon near you for a complete examination. If your wisdom teeth do need to be removed, the procedure can be done in an office setting with minimal post-operative pain and swelling. Remember, pain or no pain, your wisdom teeth should be checked every year. Find your local oral and maxillofacial surgeon at myoms.org. No word in the English
3: language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. (laughs) I can probably
1: swim.
2: Uh, you should wait 30 minutes.
1: Mm, Okay, (laughs) tell me what to do.
3: If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.
0: Weather Update is brought to you by Four Quarter Siding. No matter the weather, Four Quarter Siding can help protect your home. Morning sunshine then clouds filling in this afternoon. Strong northwest winds 20 to 30, gusts over 40. Highs low 60s today with a couple isolated showers and storms this evening. Lows going to be in the lower and mid 30s. Morning sun, afternoon clouds Sunday. Temps upper 40s, low 50s. Scattered rain showers redeveloping.
1: Rain likely Sunday night with snow showers in the higher elevation to the West, Sunday night and Monday.
0: And we're back, AM650, KGAB, Nick the Motor Guy, back here on Cargab. And I'm really proud to have somebody with me who, well, started as a business relationship, has kind of become a mentor and occasionally, hey, Nick, you got roasted into spectacles, which as business people, we all need those reminders. Um, My uh, good friend, Chris Fletcher, and Kozaki, district manager for this region. Chris, thanks for coming on today with me. Oh, glad to, Nick. Uh, it's fun to, fun
3: to have this uh, opportunity to ch- chat with you and your fans.
0: Well, you know, we, we, one of the joys of people in our industry, be it cars or be it bikes, is most of us who end up in here for a length of time that we'll, we'll just leave it alone, but it's been a while for both of us, Right yes sir we're enthusiasts and we do it it, because it just drags you in it becomes really a great thing between the people you meet the companies you get to work for uh and quite honestly and i tell people this all the time when they ask me what about this machine what about that machine and if it's a kowazaki against everything else i have to look at and go well I bleed green, so I'm just warning you ahead of time. And Kozaki not only produces a magnificent vehicle, but the people who are in the company and the company itself, in my opinion, are as good as anybody out there.
3: Well, that's wonderful for you to say, Nick, and it's something that I feel pretty strongly with, too. And, um, you know, I I liken it to a disease. You know, (laughs) we all kind of have this disease when we were kids. Um, I blame it on my father, so... uh, you know, but it's a it's something that came into my life and it's stuck and it's never going away. So and, you know, and having good relationships with our business partners, is, like you were saying, it's just it's fantastic. It's a it makes it a really fun business.
0: It really does. And your disease. And don't worry, I blame my father as well. So we're, we're alike in that one. But your disease has started pretty early age. Why, why don't you tell us a bit about that?
3: Yeah, well, what I, I mean, I always loved bicycles, so growing up as a kid, I always had a bicycle, loved to ride in the dirt, loved to jump bicycles, all kinds of fun things like that. So it was like a, you know, with my dad having motorcycles, uh, brothers having motorcycles as I grew up, um, you know, I just, I gained a liking to them at a very, I wouldn't say a young age as it, as it stands in concern versus, uh, some other sports and such, but boy, by ten, ten age of ten, I was um, playing on motorcycles, and by eleven and twelve, I had already had a couple, and was uh, riding them, taking them apart, rebuilding them, sometimes <laughs> smashing two motorcycles together to get one, and you uh, know, it was just, it was something that was. Kept me very occupied as a kid,
0: and honestly, it kept me out of trouble. So. Yes, I think that that that's a, a good piece of it. And of course, while you were doing that, you didn't exactly have the intentions of doing this as for a living, right? Oh no, no, it was something
3: you kind of you think, oh, it'd be fun to work in doing this, but my head was so wrapped around just the the joy of being able to get out and ride and hang out with friends and and do those kinds of things. That that was the first thing. And it wasn't till a little bit later in life that I kind of figured out, hey, this could be a career. <laughs> but it was almost by mistake when it happened, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, for me it was. So um, I just ended up from a young age, younger age, I ended up racing uh, motorcycles in the dirt, motocross, and uh, you know, with that, it just I I can say that from thirteen, fourteen on, it was a part of my life, riding. And racing motorcycles in the dirt so so so, we got
0: to, i've got to put you on the line here were they always green no they weren't <laughs> oh <laughs> started out on a chaparral
3: 100 and ended up getting uh elsinore honda elsinore 125 yeah. honda elsinore 50s and uh you know kind of went from there so you were a bit of a red guy then
0: uh, I would say a little bit, yeah, early on. So, <laughs> well I <important>. and, and <laughs> rightly so. They yeah. I mean they are brilliant machines, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and they they're a good engineering company, very similar to Kawasaki. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so when did when did you first really become aware of Kawasaki and uh where did that come from? Uh that
3: was that was around seventeen, eighteen years old. Um and with that, you know, I just, as I started racing more, I just liked the green, <laughs> you know, and became a, a fan of the green and some of the motorcycles that they had available, like, and, you know, really, I, I started racing KX500s at about 18, and... Uh,
0: that so is a long. lunatic machine at any age, but at 18, that was a handful.
3: It was a handful, and I was a scrawny little runt, so <laughs> I was kind of, I could... I guess I could move it a little bit better than most of the
0: guys at that time. <laughs> so you you actually went to school for something entirely different, right? Yes, sir, I did. I did.
3: Um, I went to school to be a dental hygienist, and I was actually going on to be an orthodontist. And before I decided that school was just not in the cards for me, you might say.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm thinking staring in people's mouths against hanging with uh, motorcyclists and cool machines. I know which one I'm with. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> it didn't take much to get me to switch, that's for sure. And when I was in uh, school doing my training, I that's where I, uh, I'd worked at a motorcycle dealership part-time, and actually I was racing bikes, and he was helping me with that, helping to sponsor me. So with that... I was involved in working in deater, a dealership and and getting to do what I wanted to do. So, you know, as, as far as part time, it was just the ultimate job. So, I really enjoyed that.
0: Absolutely, I, I and I mean, it just kind of dragged you in. When when did you first get the opportunity to go and work uh, for Kozaki Corporate? Because you, I mean typical of so many people I've met with Kozaki corporate over the last four or five years once you become part of Kawasaki, um you you don't leave
3: yeah it is, it is a company it's more uh, family oriented you might say that you know trip just everybody's really good to each other within the company and uh, you know it's it's you get a lot of support from different angles mm-hmm. and just a lot of solid people that just showed me that wow this is this is a good company. They build good product, they're out there trying to do good things and and they reward your people for it. so well, my counterparts and people that I was working with it was i I was working with some thirty, forty, and even fifty year in the industry people, and for the most part, most of those their experiences were with Kawasaki that whole time.
0: Which is incredible for a company that has been in the States now for only a little over 50 years. So they've had impl- the same employees almost in their entire U.S. history.
3: Yes, sir. Yeah, It's it's not something that you see in today's world, that's for sure.
0: It, it really isn't. And you can tell. I mean, as a dealer for you, I mean, obviously I pick up the phone and I, I call you and I, I always... Guy uh, get an answer it may not always be what i want as an answer but it, i get the answers i need and anybody i deal with they're just they're just great people and i i just want to make one point to everybody out there and you've heard me say this before but with chris on i'd like to reinforce it one year ago when everything got shut down and power sports dealers like myself were in very very concerned about where we were going the first company to make phone calls, and I received calls from Chris, and I got letters and emails from the CEO of the company saying, you're okay, we got you back. And they did something which no other company did, not to that extent, and certainly not that quickly. And I will be forever loyal and forever grateful because of that.
3: Oh, that's very good to hear, sir. And that's, you know, I, I like that we, we panicked, of course, but um, you know, within a short period of time, we quickly realized that hey, uh, people are still buying bikes. People are still <laughs> wanting to get out and spend time in nature, spend time with their families, and and so that you know, for us, we realized it fairly quickly, yeah. and you know, ended up redirecting and and you know, just trying to weather the storm and and keep. Keep businesses rolling, keep our dealerships
0: healthy, and and move along, so and support your customers. And again, yeah. it, this is the joy of it I've, because we, because us as dealers know that we got a company like you at our backs. We can we can be there for the customers absolutely without a doubt that we've got the backing we need. And I, I I've been in business for twenty years now, and there's no company's ever done like that like that for me. So, Wonderful. And it's great. Thank you very much. Well, and Chris, of course, you're still enthusiastic. enthusiast. You still ride occasionally, right? Even between all I, this running around after these difficult dealers like myself. Yeah, boy, they're a handful, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> no, I, I I, do
3: joke. I tell people, well, you know, if I wanted to start riding dirt bikes like I used to, I'd probably have to get another job. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's. Um, I'm working it out. I try to find time to balance it and... I love any minute I can spend on a dirt bike or a street bike for that matter. So it's uh, just getting out and playing is a is a good thing for you. It's healthy. It's, it,
0: uh, it's healthy it both physically and mentally. Certainly, certainly. And it, and it helps to keep us motivated, too absolutely well Chris I'm gonna take a quick break here and then we'll bring you back in maybe we could talk about a couple of the new models ha- headed our way which have been announced already uh maybe a little bit about the uh rebirth of the granddaddy of them all the KLR 650 so I'm sure we'll be right yes, back I'm- we'll be right back here am 650 KGAB. am650 KJb Nick the motor guy back here on the uh, car Gab, Bike Gab right now with Chris Fletcher from Kawasaki, good friend, great mentor, great business partner partner for me at Sham Motorsports. And this segment, we are going to talk about a couple of machines, which one of them has been part of Kawasaki's motorcycle life, my motorcycle life, many riders' motorcycles lives over the last oh, 30 plus years, and that would be the KLR650. Chris, pretty exciting. We finally got an updated KLR 650 coming sometime in 2021. I'm, I'm so excited for it.
3: Yes, sir. Me too. It's, it's one of those bikes. Um, they call it the Swiss army knife motorcycle. As in it you can do just about anything in it. Um, and it's, you know, it's great for adventuring
0: and heading from here, say like to the tip of South America, um, and- you know, and tough as nails, easy to work on, simple. Uh, I mean, and now with the added advantage, some modernizations, some updates on braking and suspension, and probably the biggest one, finally fuel injection.
3: Yes, sir. there have been a lot of people waiting for this motorcycle to get some updates, and uh, and the nice thing about it is with the model that they're releasing here shortly as a 2022. Model year, uh, it's it's got a lot of those things that are taken care of, and and the biggest feature I feel this bike has is its price tag. Um, you know, it, it's not a plus ten thousand dollar motorcycle. No, it's not. I, it's... A lot of see out there, and and this bike, you know, boy, it started out, and it was probably around. $35, Thirty-five, thirty-nine, ninety-nine, and it's you know at this point we're up around seven thousand dollars in this with this type of motorcycle with it coming in at a couple of different variations.
0: Well, we've and you know we we've seen a lot of manufacturers climbing on this adventure bike uh, wagon. Something that quite honestly Kawasaki with the KLR pretty much invented. Yes, there were others along the way, but the KLR is kind of the granddaddy of them all, and. When I when it was discontinued in twenty eighteen, we were all pretty despondent about it and we all wondered what it was gonna be, what what was gonna happen. And when you you guys announced the twenty twenty two model, I was excited for the specs. But then when you announced that the price basically had not changed. I mean, that that is incredible. It's gonna give access to a great all round machine that you can go across the world on for a very, very, very reasonable price. Yeah, that's a fact, Nick. Um, yeah, it's, and that's the thing with this motorcycle. I've seen it
3: uh, time and time again throughout my career that people did take these and ride them out around the world. And uh, yeah, I've seen them ride them up into Alaska and tour all over. So the nice thing is, is the motorcycle hasn't been sh- changed dramatically over the years so boy wherever you go you're probably going to be able to find parts and pieces to to keep this thing on the road and not have any issue
0: absolutely and it, again it just proves that it's something that uh Kawasaki's always been brilliant at they get it right early and they they then don't change a lot. They just tweak it a little bit here and there, and their, their engineering is so good at the beginning that it's something which uh, will will grow with you. Yeah, that's correct. The, the changes are usually minimal, and if, it, if anything, it's
3: just making it that much better. Yeah. So it's been fun to see this motorcycle morph from its beginning in about... Uh, 1985, I think, is
0: 84. Yeah. I think with the original KL600, KLR600.
3: Yeah. that's right.
0: Yeah, I, I had one, um, and it, it was a great machine. It still had a Kickstarter on it as well, and that could be a bear, but that's another story. Yeah, that is. That is. <laughs> well, and we go from what is I, in no disrespect to Kozaki or the KLR, but we go from. Fairly basic four-stroke engineering, and then occasionally over the last fifty years, Kawasaki just decides to completely throw the baby out with the bathwater, lose its mind, and produce a bike which completely reinvents the industry. They did it with the H two. The original H1 and H2 triple-cylinder two-strokes. They did it again with the Twin Cam Z900 Z1s back through uh, the 70s. They did it again with the GPZ900Rs, um, the Top Gun bike, as so many people think of it. and. Certainly. I, and I think yet again with the ZX um, 11 in the early 90s, which was the first really safe, very, very fast 2015. Kozaki did it again maybe you'd like to expand on that. Sure sure yeah they they're one
3: company that doesn't sit on their hands they when they want to innovate and lead, in industry for the most part um, they'll do that and and like you were saying in 2025 they did that with the uh, h2 and they had a h2r which these two came with a uh, one of the first production superchargers that is put on a motorcycle and and vastly produced in in a fair amount of numbers let's say.
0: Yeah, I mean, in 2015, I mean, it just turned everything on its head. And the first time I, I rode an H2 variant, it's not just the almighty power that it makes. It's where and how it does it. I mean, with a, a high-performance four-stroke engine, we've all been used to the fact that with twin camshafts, aggressive cam timing, et etc., et you've got to rev them. You've got to get them to spin to find the exciting stuff. And when you do find that exciting stuff, wow, does this bike give back. It's just incredible. Well, we're going to take a break. We're going to be right back and chat with Chris Moore on the incredible H2 and the incredible engineering behind this motorcycle and behind this company, which does so many special things in our industry and way beyond. We'll be right back. am six fifty kgab uh, a town square media of southeast wyoming podcast find more of our shows at kgab.com backslash podcasts <laughs>